You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to episode 10 of our show where we discuss the latest news about Apple, iPhone, iPad, Mac, Apple Watch, and more. We're recording on Thursday, April 2nd, 2015. Today we'll be discussing the leaked iPhone 6C case and the proposed 4-inch new iPhone, the Becoming Steve Jobs book and Mikey Campbell's review, the new Tidal music streaming service, Amazon's new Dash buttons for quick ordering, the Surface 3, and more. Hi, I'm Neil Hughes. Hi, I'm Mikey Campbell. I'm Shane Cole. And I'm Stephen Robles, and we made it to double digits for this podcast. This is episode 10, so... Congrats, everyone. Yay. <laughs> so I think someone in Cupertino is listening to our podcast because this week, both the iPhone 6C shell supposedly leaked and the um, iCloud data center, we had a video about how they were expanding that. So maybe, just maybe they're leaked. But the uh, iPhone 6C, there was a part leaked, and we have it on the website. You can look at it. And basically looks like they may just be repackaging the iPhone 5S parts into the plastic case. And that will be perhaps the new 4-inch 6C. Uh, remains to be seen whether it'll be Touch ID, NFC, and that kind of stuff. But like we said on the last episode, I imagine they'll include some of that. But uh, now, Neil, you were you on the show last week? I forget. I was not, no. No, okay. Now, Shane said you would prefer a 2.7-inch phone, a la the yes. uh, Palm Pixie. Is that correct? Yes, I would like the smallest phone possible. I have been on an effort for a few years now to cut down space in my pockets, or cut up usage of space in my pockets, I should say. I carry as few keys as possible. Right. Um, I live in New York now, so I don't have a car here, so I just carry the key to the front door of my building and the key to my apartment. Um, I have a minimal wallet, and these phones keep getting bigger, and it keeps up taking more space <laughs> in my pocket, and I hate it. So if, if it comes out, and it's plastic on the back, but four inches, would you go for it? You know, it's tempting, and I almost did an upgrade to the 6 just because uh, I prefer the size of it, but it was one of those things where I realized that I was going to have to – uh, get used to it. This is kind of the new normal, I suppose. But you know, I still have the original um, iPhone, uh, the, the thick, you know, with the metal back, and that thing just still feels great in my hand. Every once in a while, when I go back and pick it up, if they made a phone of that size, even with that thickness, just with a big battery in there, I would be so stoked about that. I would be really excited. But well, I, I don't I, think I'd be going for a C model, just because presumably, you know, from what we're seeing, it looks like it's going to have iPhone 5s parts. So at that point, right. it'll be a two-year-old phone, and I like having the better camera, and I like the battery life. Uh, you know, the, just upgrading from the 5S to the 6, I don't know if it's the LTE radio upgrades or what, but the battery life in New York City is just so much better. Hmm. Uh, it's it's a huge improvement. So I don't want to give up all that stuff, uh, unfortunately. Right. I would like to see all the components from an iPhone 6 crammed into a smaller phone. Right. That's what I was saying. Like the Touch ID, I imagine they have to put they – would, they would want to put that. That's why you well, they'd want to, yeah, they'd probably want to put Touch ID and NFC and also um, the secure element so they can use Apple Pay. So you think they'll do that? It'll just that'll basically just be a four inch well, iPhone I mean, six. They 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 crammed most of that stuff in the watch, so hopefully they can. See, uh, I don't I don't know that they would do the secure element though, because if you follow their history, they would just kind of sell the same model as last year, right? So yeah. if they don't upgrade any of the parts is from the 5S and just put a plastic back on it, then it actually would not have Apple Pay. Yeah, but but last well, year's but, model, this September, will be the 6. 
So. Yeah, but it's, it's been a year since, I mean, they right. might be able to um, work some magic. Wasn't, there was another, pro, wasn't uh, the iPad, um, uh, what was it? The wasn't mini? the first mini that they, it was kind of like a hybrid device. What do you mean? They use like older parts from. Oh yeah, it was like, like the, yeah, they were. The they use like an yeah. upgraded uh, A series processor that was like found in one of the Apple TVs or something. I think. Yeah, yeah. It, it was like a, it was like an A five, oh, but it was. Oh, souped up. The, yeah, yeah, right. And wasn't one? Oh. Yeah, they uh, deactivated one of the cores for the Apple TV or something like that. Anyway. Yeah. In any case, they can maybe work some magic. I don't they, know. They like to recycle parts is the thing. And right. you see that with legacy devices sticking around. So I would not be surprised if there's a so-called you know, iPhone 6C or whatever they want to call it, and it doesn't have Apple Pay. That would not shock me. Well, I think there are two things working in the favor of it having Apple Pay. The first is that you don't just take – even though we say it's the, the iPhone 5 components and the 5C, it's not the actual iPhone 5 components, right? They've been slightly re-architected. Right. for a new device. And if you're going to do that, why not throw in, I mean, it sounds, this sounds really uninformed, but why not put an NFC? Because you want Apple Pay to get as, the idea is to make it as widely distributed as possible. So why would you not take that opportunity to put it in your free phone? Right. Because they want to upsell. Well, but at least even if there's not an NFC chip, do it like the current iPad Air 2 where you can do Apple Pay in the apps with Touch right. ID. And then they could say those are still Apple Pay users, quote unquote, just not or, NFC. Or they could they could um, they could upsell on uh, on the watch, right? Because I mean yeah. that's that's how they're going to implement it for the um, backwards compatibility. So I mean, you go in and you get your six C and be like, well, you know, you can't use Apple Pay, but uh, we do have this uh, small <laughs> little uh, dongle here. It's called the Apple Watch, <laughs> the dongle, right? Yeah. For three hundred fifty dollars, then. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you're not paying for your phone, so uh, you know, why don't you pick up one of these bad boys? It's contract free. Contract well, the question, free the question then becomes: If you're Apple, what's more important to you? Is it upselling somebody from an iPhone 6C to an iPhone 6S, which is a terrible name, by the way, or <laughs> like is S6? it getting Apple Pay uh, as widely distributed as possible as quickly as possible? I think it, the latter is far more important. Hmm. I, I think they'd rather sell the hardware. Yeah, I mean, it. That's where their bread and butter is. So, right. I mean, I, I'm not really sold that they're pushing Apple Pay as hard as they have pushed iPhone in the past. I mean, they're, they're, they're going hard with it, but it's not like you see Apple Pay ads littering uh, primetime TV. No, but and it, it's an ecosystem builder, and you already see Samsung Pay and Google Pay are now coming out, and it's all going to operate the same way anyhow. I don't know how much of a differentiator it'll be anyhow. Though I do wonder, I mean, we can get into it later, but if Apple Pay plays into like their music type service as far as streaming and well we'll talk about that when we get to title but uh, anyway all we have is a back shell for the 6c the red shell go on our website you can check it out and um also again there's a video of some drone footage of the uh, cloud data center in reno nevada and um i'm hoping i'm really hoping we said this on the last podcast but i'm hoping at wwdc we hear something about icloud storage Something, something well, changing. Since uh, Shane, you know, brought up the iPhone 6C name being kind of terrible, can we take a moment to talk about the uh, Ming Chi Kuo rumor today? Um, sure. If you guys all got a chance to see that, mm -hmm. uh, I think so. Yeah, go ahead. So yeah, he says that he thinks that this year's upgrade, uh, which uh, he says is going to have Force Touch, which our sources have told us as well, uh, he seems to think that it's going to be such a significant upgrade that the name of the phone will actually be iPhone 7 and not iPhone 6S. 
Now, I don't know, you know, the guy has a pretty good track record when it comes to hardware leaks and stuff like that. Product names, I would imagine, are probably one of the last things that Apple worries about because they can change that at the last minute, whereas the design they have to lock in years ahead of time. But I, I was thinking maybe we should just talk a little bit about not only the naming of it, but Force Touch and how big of a deal that would be for an iPhone because I'm not convinced that it would actually be that big of a deal. Yeah, I don't know. And then there was also a rumor that maybe it would just appear on the, the Plus version, the largest. I'm not sure I'd buy that one. That's from uh, Economic Daily News or whatever that publication yeah. is, and they just kind of throw stuff out there. I would imagine that if they were going to do it, it would be on all models, especially if they can fit it into the watch. You should be able to sit, fit it in the smaller phone, and that's the best-selling phone. So Yeah, that's yeah. true. Well, I mean, I, I, haven't seen the, um, I haven't seen the hardware yet, but from what it sounds like when Tim Cook was describing it that it was uh, Force Touch, at least on the Apple Watches, uh, predicated on a um, – or is based on a, a flexible display. Right. So, I mean, if they – I mean, it, it's possible that you can put it in, in the phone and just, you know, put some sensors around the corners or something. Um, what Ming-Chi said it was going to be is not using sensing of force but actually – how um, how much surface area your finger is taking up based on pressing down, but even that doesn't make a lot of mm. sense to me because what if yeah. you have fat fingers, you know? Yeah, is it going to think that you're constantly slamming on your phone because you got big sausage fingers? Like I don't, <laughs> it doesn't really make much sense to me. So yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not really are, sure how it work. I mean, I guess they could do some trickeration where uh, I guess it takes like a baseline reading and then. If that reading like gets bigger, and so it, when you start up your phone, you have to show it how fat your fingers are now. There's going to be a new like test on it or something. Well, I mean, you do that for Touch ID. You know, you touch it ten, twelve. Well, times, I mean, whatever. They, right, they, can yeah. do, they can do it dynamically, but I don't know how accurate it's going to be. I mean, I don't, I, yeah, I'm, not, I'm just I don't not sure know. what the point would be. That's what I'm trying yeah. to figure out. I mean, I feel like I need to get an Apple Watch first to really understand what the point's going to be and see how it's implemented in the OS yeah. and see how it's implemented with the apps. Because I have uh, I have the new MacBook Pro in front of me right now, and that has you know uh, this new uh, Force Touch feature, which is great because it simulates a trackpad and it feels like a trackpad. But since we've never actually had that kind of uh, tactile feedback on a phone, I mean, yeah. what's it going to do? Is it going to are they going to try to make it feel like a trackpad? Have you, have you used the, um, the? There's a couple apps, right, that use the uh, the the so-called hard I, press. iMovie, yeah. Right. Have you tried yeah. those? Is it, yeah, is it yeah. even you? Is it useful or no? Well, I, I did a video on it that we ran yesterday that just kind of showed some of the uh, hard the force click functions that are built into mm -hmm. OS X. And I, I mean, I don't know that they're super useful, but I have found myself using the expose feature where if I click something uh, on, the, uh, uh, on the dock, then I can quickly access all of like my open Safari windows and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, basically, as it stands right now, it replaces the preview function where you used to click with three fingers. Now you just press down harder and then it gives you a second click. So I can see that that so-called taptic engine that is part mm. of um, uh, Force Touch being the more important feature of force touch on an iPhone than how hard are you pressing? Because I mean, I can't imagine a lot of situations where you really want to slam your finger down on your phone. What would be the point? Yeah. I mean, I well, can see it, that. Oh yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, if you want to see how this could be implemented, if you want to see how this could be implemented, uh, look at Android. Android has had long press since day one and yeah. they do a lot of really, they do a lot of really neat things. I mean, that's <laughs> the kind of thing you're looking at. It's not about, we should stop thinking of it as, as pressure sensing, right? And it's it's about a new um, method of telling the device that you want to do something else. 
it's yeah. uh, based. I mean, I kind of think about it like, um, you know, the the current multi touch is like a two D kind of thing, and then you introduce these longer presses. It kind of gives depth to the to the OS. Um, so I mean, I could see that working on on Apple Watch because it's such a limited amount of screen real estate to work with that they'd have to go deeper into the OS and, you know, they can't like just, you know, tap around on the screen. But I don't know if with their huge screen 6S and 6S plus 6 whatever. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know, uh, you know, how how useful that that's going to be. So if they, I if, mean, yeah, if, I mean, is this something that could be a game changer? Like he says it could be, because no, I, just, I don't think so. I don't see that. Well, and I'm, what I'm wondering too, is if it does become a large part of navigating, like the laptop OS, will they eventually bring it to desktop? And if they do, is that a new magic trackpad or magic mouse? Or like, how would they do that? I have no you got to think that they're going to do that eventually. Yeah. What sense. I think, I'm just kind of, <laughs> I can see it now that, uh, there's going to be a, there's going to be a new gate. It's going to be a force gate or something where people are touch gate. Yeah, they're Gosh. they're they're uh, pressing their screen so hard that they're you know cracking them, or killing something. killing pixels everywhere. Yeah, a, I don't know. A trail of pixels. Like a good idea. I, I could just see. I can see the haptic feedback having some value, but uh, yeah, like Shane said, you know, long press or something like that. I think that could be great. But in terms of like pressing really hard on your phone, like you said, what are we going to do with this? Bend yeah. our phones or something or try to press? I just don't see what the point and that is. And that was always a knock on Android too because the long press, like no one knew that that was there. So right. a lot of times to access menus on things, people just didn't know what to do because they didn't understand. Well, well I mean, well, that's like, just, like all – yeah, go ahead. I was going to say that ship is totally sailed on iOS. Um, the OS is so gesture dependent now that we've completely – for better or for worse, we've almost completely avoided um, affordances. But you, over. but you don't like so, it's. There are a lot of gestures present, but I don't think there's any options or menus that are solely accessible by gestures. Like on Android, long press was sometimes the only way you get to a certain menu. Like on iOS, if you didn't use any gestures, you could still access everything you needed to. Yeah, I mean that that's true. In the, again, in the default apps, that's true, but not in very very many third party apps. Really? Okay. Yeah. I mean, in, in like games and stuff, that's pretty. Like, there's no instruction manuals with those games, and a lot of those, like, <laughs> you know. You I mean, look at the swipe. look at the things you do now with weird interactions on iOS, right? Like the uh, the text copying. Imagine if instead of having to tap on a piece of text and then wait for a little thing, or actually, I guess it's long press on the piece of text. It is wait long for press. A yeah. Thing yeah. to come up. Imagine you just push really hard, bam! That text is selected. You're done. I gotta that's say that's the kind of thing I think you you'll see changing. It's this, not you know a yeah. massive shift. Which maybe that'd be good because honestly, selecting text is not a great experience <laughs> on iOS. I find. But like, how would it how would it decide between if you were just using the tip of your finger versus kind of the front of your finger, right? It, again, tip. if it yeah, just the tip. <laughs> you know, if it was, uh, I, I, I'm just, I guess I'm just not really understanding how that this would work in terms of the way it was described in the report today that it wouldn't actually sense any force. It would just sense the size of your finger on there. It just seems like there are too many ways for it to break down, doesn't it? But it's it? like it's like with the drawing apps. Like if you have one of the stylus, like if you press lightly, it's really just a smaller portion of the round ball on the end is touching the screen. But as you press harder, more of it kind of squishes down and you get a larger brush stroke. So maybe that's right. what it is. Like you press lightly with your thumb, it's a smaller touch target. You push harder than, you know, it's like a wider area. But Wait, which which stylus are you talking about? Because the the Wacom and or the Wacom and stuff, 
it, that that's not how those work. No, no, I know. They're, they're, I'm talking about like kind of the older ones, how they used oh, to have the, to do the it. capacitive ones. Yeah, the, capacitive I mean the, ones no, are like okay. squishy. So that's well, like think about thing. think about if you're holding your phone with one hand, right, and you're using it with your thumb and you're using the the bottom of your thumb. That's a huge area that is being used when you're interacting with the phone. Whereas, let's say you're holding it with one hand and using your index finger on the other, you're more likely using the tip of your finger, right? Yeah. So I mean, that it's a huge difference in surface area. How is it going to interpret the difference between those? I don't know. I mean, most people I think just use one thumb, though. I don't. Well, see I mean, them, you know, I guess oh, it's kind of like inside baseball or whatever but i mean if you if the operating system you know judge judges each tap and touch separately i guess it could take a reading from the first time you tap and then if that if that surface area grows larger while you're touching it i guess it could translate that into a long press or yeah that's that's exactly what i would i mean expanding touch regions are not a new concept right yeah, I think right. it would be. It would just be a an expansion of the word that escapes me, but the uh, the <laughs> algorithm that actually detects when you're trying to press harder versus you know. I mean, we do this now with palm rejection, and you mentioned Wacom tablets. We do this with palm right. rejection, knowing where your palm is and whether or not you actually want that to happen. Right. Yeah, so. but I mean, it, wouldn't it wouldn't it also require uh, finer motor skills by the user? I mean, I'm not sure right now that I apply constant pressure when I tap my iPhone screen. I mean, it could right. like uh, result in a lot of unwanted, uh, yeah. a lot of errors or unwanted, um, unwanted oh, long presses. You meant just analyzing the very first tap and then using that as the baseline, right? Uh, I no, you, like I thought no, you no. were saying, look at when I touch my screen. Look at when I touch my screen now, because generally, once you tap once, if you're going to continue doing something, you stay in contact with the surface. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean like that. But I mean, I'm saying if I do that, I'm not sure that when I'm touching my screen right now, um, that I'm applying a constant level of pressure. I mean, I could be pressing it harder or softer. I don't know. It would it. It might require finer motor skills. Yeah. I don't know. But we'll have to see. I mean, we can talk about it hard. But once I, the watch know, I was, comes out, I was skeptical of, of the trackpad on the new MacBooks, but it came out pretty good, I think. So it remains to be seen. But for me, it seems like it's a solution in search of a problem, but right, we'll have right. to see how they implement it and what they do. It may be one of those gimmicky things that gets introduced and nothing happens with it. Or maybe there's some really great thing that we haven't thought of yet that Apple can kind of lay the groundwork and say, hey, this is now going to be part of iOS. This is why it's justified in being called the iPhone 7 right. um, that really takes it to the next level. All right. Well, we'll we can always talk about that, especially when the watch comes out. But I do want to go to Mikey, who reviewed the, uh, the Becoming Steve mm-hmm. Jobs bio, reviewed that oh, over yeah. the weekend. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Um, it was good. Well, that's a concise <laughs> review. No, it was it's good. I mean, it, it had a lot of uh, a lot of info that I didn't previously know. Um, Did you read the Isaacson bio? Yeah. Okay. It's, that thing's a slog. Yeah, I mean, this one's not really a super compelling read either. Um, but uh, and there's a lot of like there's a lot of repetition. Like they use like weird words. Uh, I forgot. I can't really. I don't not off the top of my head. I don't remember, but they use them over and over again. It's kind of like they wrote. I mean, it it is like they wrote this in many many sittings and right. forgot what they wrote before. 
<laughs> this is why I write about technology and not books. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like, it, it's kind of a difficult, it's kind of difficult to, to keep your attention or, or sit like I did for hours reading, right. reading it, you know, but I mean, if, if you parse it out over a week or so, I think it'd be fine. But as for the content, um, I really liked how, uh, Schlender or, uh, Brent Schlender and Rick Tetzeli, the authors, um, I like how they concentrated on jobs years at next. Hmm. And also they did a lot of background on, um, on Pixar, oh, which cool. was, uh, which, you know, that period, a lot of people say were jobs formative years. That's where he learned how to delegate, how to, um, how to actually, you know, relinquish some control uh, and and manage people instead of uh, dictating right. to them. And it, you know, that that whole part was really great. And it's about, I'd say, a mm, quarter or a third of the book, whereas Isaacson kind of glossed over that that whole area. Right. Yeah. So, so a lot of the other reviewers were saying this uh, definitely sheds a a nicer light, or at least showing Steve Jobs as more of not as a tyrant i guess you could say and isaacson did but I, I never felt like isaacson's book painted him so much like a monster like you know you could tell he was intense um yeah well i but, mean there's definitely this sense that uh, uh they're kind of revering him in a way right um even though they they do make some critical comments about it they always you know couch that with some oh but this is why you know, that's mm. just the way he is. Right, right, okay. Um, kind of stuff. And dude, that's just why he's great. Right. But, I mean, you know, in, in the end, uh, you can just take the information uh, for what it's worth and, you know, draw your own conclusions. Um, yeah. But it did offer what I think was a better balance compared to Isaacson's um, mm. telling of Jobs' story. Okay. Um, oh, and another thing was the the uh, the interviews with co-workers like uh like susan barnes and all those people that he started out with um they're more willing i guess to talk after his death mm. um either they didn't they held their tongue while he was alive out of respect or um i know schlender had some anecdotes that he couldn't publish while jobs was alive because um you know he took a vow of silence because mm. yeah, i guess they're they're pretty close, but um, there there are things in here that are kind of revelations as for job fans, I guess. Yeah, so you think it's worth it? Worth a read? You know, especially if you were a, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, especially if you're an Apple fan and yeah, or and or uh, a job acolyte, Jobs acolyte. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's it's definitely worth worth your time. Okay. Oh, great. Well, thanks for that. Isaac's, I, the problem I had with Isaac's book was it was very like it was clinical. It was almost you know it was very cold. It, it really was not a, a great narrative read. I don't think it was a chore to get through. It was long and just yeah. didn't really get to it. So it's, I haven't read this one, but it sounds like it's an improvement from one, like you said. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, all we, of yeah. books are like that. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, unlike uh, unlike Isaacson, um, Schlender actually had a you know decade. Oh, decades worth of a relationship with jobs and you know i mean he he went to his house uh, outside of outside of work he would you know talk with him and um there's there's some sections in the book where he actually says that jobs was a was an inside source um for you know 
for industry dealings that he would use sometimes, uh, you know, like un- anonymously. Um, so, I mean, they, they had a very good working and uh, personal relationship outside of work. So it kind of, it kind of gives, uh, you know, some more light on okay. Jobs' personal life and how he was outside of Apple's offices. Yeah. Well, cool. We'll check, definitely check out uh, Mikey's review on the site. We'll put the uh, the link in show notes. Uh, the other thing that launched this week, which I was, I definitely want to talk about with you guys, is uh, the title music streaming service <laughs> finally launched this week, and uh, it's available now. I've actually been trying it out. Uh, it's basically Jay Z uh, bought title and is now kind of running it or owns it, such and such. And the, and the promise is there's going to be exclusive content uh, with some of these big artists, people like Daft Punk, Madonna, stuff like that, or Alicia Keys. They're providing exclusive video and other content. And the yeah. promise is it will pay artists more than services like Spotify, Google Music. Did you did you see their uh, self-congratulatory uh, ad? I, I watched that video and it was oh like, God. it's quoting it's like, <laughs> I think two or three times Jay-Z is like a voice, like you hear like, there's B-roll and you hear Jay-Z saying, we're going to change the world. Or like, we're going to make history. <laughs> so it is, so the promise is artists will get paid more, but the service costs just as much or just as little as all the other services. So it's Can not... I just point out two absurd things about this entire process? Please. The first is that it looks exactly like Spotify. <laughs> yeah, it's that just, really it's does. It's as though they took, they hired the guy who designed Spotify and said, make it look like Spotify as closely as you can without getting a suit. And the app icon is kind of ugly, but anyway, yeah. yeah. What's the, the second thing is that the double payment for artists only kicks in for the higher tier. Okay, because that's At what I was wondering. At the lower tier, it's exactly the same as Spotify and everybody else. Only mm-hmm. if they can convince people to pony up twenty dollars a month for exactly the same thing, are they going to get that kind of cash? Right, because all the exclusive content you get with either tier, so you can watch all the videos and behind-the-scenes stuff, which either one, but. I, I, they have a 30-day free trial right now, so I've been trying it, and it's fine. I mean, it's I'm not an audiophile or anything, but I wouldn't pay the $20 as opposed to the 10 because, I don't know, I, I just don't hear that much of a difference, but it's fine. Like, it's just an, it's just another music streaming service as far as yeah. what I see. Neil Young would uh, like to uh, speak with you, Stephen. <laughs> Something he wants to show He'd like you. to sell you yeah. a triangular music player. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, so, I mean... I don't know. It's okay. It's I, fine. It's uh, interesting that they didn't really announce any of, uh, or it, I think it would be more effective if they announced it with some smaller indie bands or, you know, fringe bands or right. acts rather than the multi, multi millionaires that signed up for equity stake. Like the ones who don't need. <laughs> yeah. I, like... they're, 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 I mean, they're touting, <laughs> they're saying, oh, we're going to, we're going to give artists what they deserve. Right. When, you know, they they don't need this extra uh, right. royalty cash. It's right. it's the starving artists that you've never heard of that kind of needs it. So I, I would think that they would want that voice in there. But And you know who's notice, noticeably not. absent from all the videos and the service is Miss mm-hmm. Swift, Taylor Swift. She's not there. Her Still can't get her music on there. Um, she's, she's busy with Carly Claus. <laughs> oh, honk. Uh, yeah. So the big deal is, will this affect Beats? And supposedly, you know, Apple's going to be 
launching the rebranded Beats slash iTunes Radio slash whatever else, and it will be Apple streaming music service. And I just hope it's not another one. Like, we have Google Music, we have Spotify, we have RDO, now we have Tidal, which I don't even know. I don't know if I like that name anyway, but I don't know. We don't need another one that's just the same, I don't think. Yeah, all the, I mean, there's not much differentiating these. Their content is similar, Yeah, but the interfaces are, you know, fairly, like, you know, Shane mentioned, Tidal's basically a ripoff of Spotify. I don't know what they can do to stand out. And Apple's plan to offer, you know, a, a cheaper service was would would be great but once right. again the uh the labels are stonewalling that so i, yeah, don't, I, I mean, don't know yeah. that's that's the biggest problem here is the labels are still involved even with title the artists who are giving the music to title have to buy it from the labels the labels own their rights right um and aside from starting your own record label i don't know what you can really do to differentiate like mikey said i I think Beats has got the best thing there with the human curation, but even then, other than that, it's going to be just another Spotify. It's the way it is. What can you do? Yeah. yeah. Is somebody typing? It just stopped. Oh. Neil. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let me create another marker. So anyway, that's title. I mean, if you want a good laugh, I would say watch the mo- the little videos that they have because... I don't know. They, they seem a little also, humorous. And like Daft Punk. Also check out their reactions on Instagram. <laughs> okay. And it's funny because like Daft Punk is in those meetings and those videos like with their helmets and everyone's just kind of chilling. Like it's no big deal. But I guess that's the, uh, it's their character. The pomp of yeah. entertainment. Right. So anyway, so they made history this week. And in other news, Amazon Dash Buttons. I thought this was funny because they announced it uh, March 31st, they announced it Tuesday, and everybody thought it was an April Fool's joke at first, um, but it is for real, confirmed, and it's basically a physical button that Amazon is going to give you. It's it's by invite only right now, and it's only for uh, Prime members. You can request an invite, and it's basically just a physical button you can put anywhere in your house, and it's connected to a single product like paper towels or detergent. And you press the button, and it orders it through Amazon Prime and shows up two days later. And I don't know how you guys feel about it. I mean, I'm a Prime subscriber, so and I do order paper towels and stuff like that through Prime because it's cheaper. And I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of curious. I think it might actually have some kind of use. I mean, yes, you could just take out your phone and order it. Are you just so lazy that you can't, you know, open the app? I cannot be bothered <laughs> with that. Right. But... In their defense, like, the kind of products they're saying to connect, okay, you got like laundry detergent, you're probably doing laundry, you probably have stuff in your hands, don't want to drop your phone in the washing machine, would just be easier just to press a button that's attached to your washing machine. Uh, same thing with like, you know, if you're using paper towels, you're probably cleaning up a mess, don't want to, you know, whatever, you just press the button real quick, and you get more paper towels. I don't when know. I saw this... The first thing I said to Neil was, I'm going to design a rack so that you can put all of your dash buttons in it and hang on the back of the cabinet door. It's not a bad idea. I mean. But what, yeah. what actually, I, I thought it was a hilarious product. What actually convinced me that it's genius, though, is that they have a partner program. And the dash buttons are, I think, going to go away soon. But they have a partner program integrating the dash service into products. So your washing machine will already know oh. when you're out and yeah. order it for you. Yeah. That's... Uh, th- no one's really talking about that, but that's like. Yeah, that's that's, that's a like smart a killer that's, feature. That's, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's really that's, the killer after this whole thing. That's home automation right there. 
they already have, you know, so you, uh, if you have like uh, for like soaps or supplements and stuff like that, you can set it up so that you get a discount and it will subscribe you and send it to you on a regular basis at right. a discounted rate. They've had that for a long time. But uh, I actually got to test out the other day the uh, the Prime Now where they deliver within an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, I ordered a uh, Thunderbolt cable so I could set up my new MacBook Pro. And it, of course, it wasn't available within the hour, but they delivered like later in the day, like two hours later. And a guy came by on a bike and dropped it off. And <laughs> it, it just tipped him like five bucks, and that was it. So it was pretty cool. Wait, so you, you tipped him? Is that a thing? You're supposed yeah. To do? So it comes with the when you place the order, it uh, gives you a place to include a tip, and you choose oh. how much you want to tip. Wow. And so the recommended tip for my order was five dollars. So I said okay. And then the order went through, and the guy showed up like a couple hours later with my Thunderbolt cable. So this is like this is like um, individual carriers. Like this isn't UPS, FedEx, right? Yeah. Like so I mean, in New York, you can order like from any restaurant, like services like Delivery.com or Seamless. I can have them come pick up my laundry for me, right, right. and it's just on there. You just set it, and so they do the same thing with Amazon now. So they have limited number of products available, but it's pretty wide ranging. Huh. Uh, like you can even get like a mattress delivered within an hour, which is crazy to me. But uh, yeah, so you just go on there, you hit the button, and then and then they show up and bring it. So I could see that being pretty neat. Like if you had this dash button or just you know a washing machine or whatever that says when it's out, and then they have the hour delivery on top of that. Mm. You hit a button, and then an hour later you have what you're looking for. It's, in between loads, yeah, in between loads. It's funny, like bike yeah. messengers are coming back, like because that used yeah, to be yeah. a thing. Like in the cities, stuff would just be delivered by bike messenger all the time. Yeah. Now it's like I don't know resurgence. I think yeah, but you know, to Shane's point i am looking forward to the day when i don't or my coffee machine will be able to order me a new product when i'm running low and i just don't have to think about anything yeah because the nag you when you're drinking too much of it (laughs) right because like with the subscribe and save like i do it with a couple things but sometimes you know just timing wise it's just not accurate then you have to cancel an order or you have to order one in between but to just know like exactly when you need it that's that is pretty useful the Amazon robots need to know the my drones. every move. The drones. Is, it, is this really I, that big of a problem, though? Like, I just can't. I, I don't know. It just seems strange. It is huge. <laughs> I do not have time. I'm far too important the, to go online and order coffee yes. myself. Right. The Internet of Things makes sure that you have the plenty stock of toilet paper in your house. Like, what, why are we? I don't know. When, that when, is, when did the Internet of Things become a thing? Was that, I, was that recently? Oh, I'll go. No. Yeah, that, that's just a buzzword they use for everything being connected, and yeah, so now yeah. it's connected to Amazon, so you can get, you know, fresh bars of soap delivered when right. you're running out. So my question is, I mean, Amazon is not—it's struggling being profitable because like delivery costs are increasing. They had to up the price of Amazon Prime a year ago. Um, I don't see how this is going to make them more profitable. I mean, people are going to order more, maybe order more stuff or more often, but if shipping costs increase and they're already not making a profit on whatever they're delivering. Uh, I don't, I'm just curious. I don't know if this so, is going to be helpful or not. That's one reason Amazon is going more to the local model, putting right. more distribution centers in larger cities. Right. The real goal, think, think about this, right? Imagine you have a mini Amazon distribution center with the 10,000 most ordered products in your metro area. And instead of going, instead of saying, shit, I'm out of paper towels, I need to put that on my grocery list, you order them from Amazon. And that you make that decision for every one of the 150 household products that you buy every week or every two weeks. Yeah. Imagine that times all of the people in your metro area and you see exactly where they're going. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm actually, I mean, I live in uh, Lakeland, Florida, which is not a big city. It's in between Tampa and Orlando. And we actually have a huge distribution center right here in our town. So, yeah, they're popping up everywhere. If they got their own delivery method, that would be great because I would be very happy if they no longer use the U.S. Postal Service because I have been screwed so many times by the U.S. Postal Service in the last couple of years. So it's let's, amazing. Uh, let's get that I mean, business model going. Yeah. If you want to see the delivery as a part of your life future, just go to San Francisco. The last time I was there, I was there for a couple of weeks at a time. And um, everything, my, literally, I could have anything delivered. Google, Google Shopping Express is probably the coolest thing I've actually used, the coolest shopping service I've ever used. Did you use Postmates? Uh, I did not use Postmates. Oh. I hmm. used Eat24, Seamless, um, GSE, a couple other Yeah, they, they have all those in New York as well. It's the same thing. Like, I'll have people come pick up my laundry. They'll deliver alcohol to me. It's <laughs> yeah. really... Hey, that's safe. It's, then you're just at yeah, home. Yeah, it, it, it's weird. Like, they don't even ID me or anything. I mean, it's very strange. Oh. Like, how is this even legal? I, you would think that there would have to be some sort of checks in there or something. But there you go. Do they judge you for buying that bottle of bourbon at 9 <laughs> in the morning? <laughs> <laughs> right. There's no judgment. There's no judgment. You know, it's See, funny. It's, oh, go ahead. It was, I was just going to say, it's interesting that over here, local courier services are the norm instead of the exception. Like I, I to, it's totally expected that if I order something from a from a Hong Kong e-commerce site, I'm gonna get it at the end of the day. Yeah, it's funny. Or I was sprawl in America for you. I yeah. was in um, Cairo a couple of years ago, and it's funny. Like every fast food place delivers. Like there are literally McDonald's bicycles. There are yeah. KFC bicycles. Like they just because traffic is so crazy and there's just so many people. Like they just deliver on bicycles just everywhere. I have a McDelivery app. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> Yeah, luckily we have none of that here in Hawaii. <laughs> Sorry. But you have amazing uh, scenery. and uh, Great. Uh, luau's. That's that's racist, bro. What, is that? Oh, I'm sorry. What? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> <You got> <laughs> I didn't think so. So anyway, yeah, that's that's the dash button. I, I don't know. I requested an invite. I'm going to see what this see what it's about. I requested as well, but more so so that I could laugh at it, I think. <laughs> I yeah. requested it so I can see if they'll deliver across the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> uh, right, but you know, I mean, with everyone, I don't know. It just seems like everyone is getting busier over time. Like either multiple jobs or whatever. Like everyone's just busy. It's whatever you ask. And even you know, I find myself like not that it's uh, hard to get out and get something from the store, but a lot of times when I have the option to just order it and have it delivered, as opposed to like driving twenty minutes to a Walmart or whatever just to get an item. I don't know. To me, it makes sense. Just just to to do it so i don't know well yeah i mean just obviously uh i mean it's yeah a better idea and as far as um as far as like rather than have thousands of, concerned I mean, right right yeah rather than have a thousands of cars driving around in the city all getting stuff from different places just you know have one truck deliver it to a bunch of different people or whatever this is jeff bezos's plan to save the environment huh? Well, he should. Well, Tim Cook with solar power, Jeff Bezos with drones and paper towel buttons. <laughs> so there you go. So last thing, I mean, I don't know how much we want to say about this, but there was um, the reviews for the Galaxy S6 came out this week from a variety of sites, and people are saying it's really great. It's uh, probably one of the best Android phones. Um, we had a post that went up. I'll put a link in show notes uh, as far as graphics performance. Uh, kind of lagged uh, as opposed to the iPhone 6 Plus. But, uh, you know, it's funny. We uh, we talked about it in a previous episode too, but like it's the new S6 is really 
is like a six is six plus. I mean, basically, you know, sealed in battery, no more SD card slot, all the things that Android users really enjoyed. It's not there anymore. So I don't know. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that, but uh, Shane, aren't you actually getting one to review? Yes, in an almost literally shocking development, Samsung <laughs> gave us an S6 review. <laughs> I wouldn't be that shocked. I wouldn't be that shocked. Okay, so well, then you I can was. tell us. <laughs> you can tell us what you think about that. And then the last uh, our post I went up this week is about the uh, Surface 3. Uh, Microsoft is going to release it and go back to Intel chips as opposed to ARM chips, and it ships with Windows 8.1, which I thought was interesting. I mean, I'm not sure what happened to Windows RT as far mm. as, like, that was for tablets, and then the other Windows is for desktops. Did they, Is that just, like, gone? I guess they just... Oh, no, yeah, this would signal the end of Windows RT, presumably. Uh-huh. Um, I had the somewhat uh, unfortunate situation of testing out the original uh, Surface RT uh, uh, when it came out a couple of years ago. Microsoft sent me one. And um, while it did have some things that were interesting, I guess, I couldn't even in good consciousness re- review it because it, it really was not a good product in any way. It wouldn't run Windows apps, but for some reason it ran the Windows desktop. So you felt like it should be able to run Windows apps, but right. it, but it ran uh, Microsoft Word in the desktop mode, but not other x86 legacy apps. Yeah, uh, it was heavily dependent on you know the the Metro interface. You could multitask and do two things at once, but it just was frustrating to deal with. Uh, you couldn't use it on your lap because the kickstand right. would bounce around when you use this flimsy keyboard. Um, I just, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was just a nightmare of a product. Uh, and you know, it's cool that it's running Intel now and it'll be able to run legacy apps and it might be a okay product for some people, but if you want a laptop, then just get a laptop. So to clarify, windows RT is gone, but windows on arm is not. I see. Right. Um, right. Cause that's Win- windows phone platform or whatever. Yeah. Well, well, no, it's not only windows phone, but, uh, they're making windows 10 for the raspberry Pi, for example. Um, the the Windows Everywhere strategy basically mandates that they have Windows for ARM, but I think that they realize that trying to mark, market them <laughs> as two separate things, no, I don't understand why they're putting Windows on the Raspberry Pi either. Yeah. But I think they realize that trying to market them separately was just stupid. It's confusing. So, you know, I had not even seen a Surface like in real life until a couple, last week, a couple weeks ago, and I used it with the uh, keyboard case or keyboard flap or whatever. I mean, it was pretty bad. Which one? Experience. The one with the clicky keys or the one that's just flat? The one with the clicky keys. It was still kind of, I don't know. Like I would prefer typing on an iPad, either virtual keyboard or iPad keyboard case, way more than that. I don't think it was great. So I have the uh, the bridge keyboard uh, for the iPad. Yeah. Um, and my wife actually uses it. It's pretty great um, because it's heavy enough. I mean... It, Again, I feel like if you just want a laptop, get a laptop. But if you want it, if you really want to use your iPad like a laptop, uh, it's great. It uh, because it has enough heft on it that you can actually set it on your lap, and it feels like you're using a laptop. The problem with that heft is it doubles the weight of the iPad and kind of kills the advantages of the iPad in my mind. But yeah. um, just in terms of the way that it looks and the way that it uses and and the responsiveness of having you know physical keys and all that and the ability that you can actually use it on your lap. Um, I think it's a pretty good product. I, I would much rather use something like that than than a Surface. Yeah, it looks good too. I mean, the Bridge Air keep it looks real good. Yeah, yeah, it looks great. Neil, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at this is Neil. And Mikey, 
Uh, also Twitter at MikeyCampbell81. And Shane? You can find me on AppleInsider.com. All right. And you can find me at Stephen Robles on Twitter. Thanks for joining us this week. And those of you who have been with us for the past 10 episodes or whenever you uh, came in and started subscribing, we appreciate it. If you enjoy the show, we'd love if you could leave a review and five-star rating on the iTunes page for the Apple Insider podcast. Of course, if you have any questions, you can tweet at any of us or at Apple Insider on Twitter or email news at appleinsider.com for questions and comments there. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next week.